This podcast of the Model Health Show is presented to you by Sean Stevenson with Rare Gym Productions. For more information, visit the SeanStevensonModel.com. Welcome to the Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson here with my beautiful co-host, glowing yes, sir. Jade Harrell. How you doing, Jade? Aspiculant. Aspiculant. Yes. Dropping those <laughs> beautiful words on us. Feeling good. It's my way of rebelling. <laughs> Make up my own. Rebelling in a sweet way. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, today, yeah. I, this is going to be an epic show. Oh, no. That's all we do is epic. That's how we roll. That's right. Well, we're bringing on somebody who, you know, mm-hmm. I've got a lot of people who, who follow my work and who, who, who look up to me and who um, learn a lot from me. And I greatly appreciate that. I don't take that for granted. But there are people who I learn from mm-hmm. and who are my personal heroes. Oh, man. And that's one of the people we have on today. We should bow. You know, so... Actually, through the years, I've been I've been teaching a lot of um, seemingly cutting edge stuff about health and nutrition, and then I stumbled upon our guest's book. Actually, you know mm-hmm. his really cutting edge book that he came out with, and what he did was really take the time, which I know it took a long time, <laughs> to compile the science to back up a lot of the stuff that I've been talking about. Nice, you know, and I'd have bits and pieces of of science to to really show and prove the things that I was talking about work and of course the the results with my clients mm-hmm. but to have such an an encyclopedia or mm-hmm. a dictionary of this knowledge is okay. just so powerful as of now in our country here in America and this is also a worldwide issue but here in America it's now confirmed that three-fourths of our population are either categorized as being overweight no. or obese no. right and this is a no. time where we have more knowledge about health and nutrition than has ever been seen before. There are so many books, programs, DVDs, boot camps, sure. just everywhere. Right. You can't even walk down the street without seeing some of this stuff. So what is the disconnect? Well, we have the greatest occurrence of ignoring all this right. information. Is <laughs> Ignorance. What we're doing. Ignorance. Yeah. And also there's a big... Because um, it's there. there. There's a big wave of the wrong information honestly you know really good people are getting confused by bad information and being taught the wrong thing and how many times have we heard someone who said well i've tried it all right i've done this and it didn't work and i went down the other path and it didn't work well i'm going to make the argument that they they definitely have not tried everything how about that and today we're going to learn out exactly what to do why has this stuff not worked Thank you. And what do we need to do from this point on to really get this weight thing in control? Sure. Grateful for so, that. Our guest today Who? is the brilliant Jonathan Baylor. Jonathan. And let me read a little bit of his bio. It's really fascinating. He's a super smart guy. Oh, cool. He's He holds more than 20 U.S. patents. Good golly. Inventing the marquee feature in Microsoft Office 2010. Starting two successful companies, authoring a book approved as curriculum for registered dietitians by the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and endorsed by the worldwide scientific community, including doctors, Harvard Medical School, John Hopkins, all those people endorse Mm -hmm. this guy. Mm -hmm. And also he speaks and consults with Fortune 50 companies for over a decade. 
And um, Jonathan's an accomplished inventor, entrepreneur, author, public speaker, and he's just a smart dude. Man, I love it. And such an underachiever. I would like to see him reach his full potential. Right. So welcome to the show, Jonathan. Wow, How are you doing today? Jonathan. Yeah. Well, it's an honor to be here. Thank you guys so much. It's quite the introduction. And I got, got certainly got some chills down my spine when you were talking about the severity of this problem, because it is it is the the task of our generation to reverse this. It absolutely is. Right. I totally agree. And there are people like yourself who are stepping up to really pioneer this, you know, and to and to take care of this, as you call it, a task, because that's what it is. And I know that we're going to look back on this as kind of like a dark age in human history and in health and just like, what were we thinking? Mm. You know, and um, one of the things that actually you just ripped apart in your past book and just in your teachings, period, was this whole calorie myth. You know, science is so focused on calories. So, Jonathan, please start off by telling the audience, what is this calorie myth? There's many, many levels of the calorie myth. But I want to start up high and then we'll dig down low because we could probably take up the entire show just <laughs> the calorie myth. So starting up high, there is a myth that you need to count calories to avoid disease and to be slim. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously false. Here's why that's false. No one knew what a calorie was, let alone count them. For every generation of humans that have ever existed, up until the last two, which have also been the fattest and thickest, so how could it possibly be true that we need to count a thing that we weren't even aware of before we had this problem to avoid this problem. Eureka, Eureka. Mm. So we can get into all the science we want, but bottom line, there's a solution to this. As evidenced by every generation of humans that existed prior to the past two. And we don't even need to get into the science. It's just eat food. Food is defined by stuff you find directly in nature. Gogurt is not found in nature. Pringles <laughs> are not found in nature. Even bread, Sean and Jake, isn't found in nature. There's no such thing as a bread bush. Right. If you want to eat wheat off the stalk, mm -hmm. go ahead, but no one does. Mm -hmm. So if we just ate the way we ate before we were heavy and sick, mm -hmm. and if we just move like we moved before we were heavy and sick, we wouldn't get heavy and sick. And it can be that simple. And there's a lot more science underneath, but I just wanted to start simple. <laughs> well, I, I love that. It starts simple, and it even sounds simple. But if it was so simple, why three-fourths of the people aren't getting it? Well, dude, that's because, sadly, what I just said is not what we're told. Right. What we've been told for the past 40 years, also the same time period where this problem has got precipitously worse, is eat less and exercise more. Which, if you think about it, what we just mentioned is the solution to this. That's all about quality, eating high-quality food, and, in fact, maybe more of it, more high-quality food. But what are we told? We're told just eat less. Mm -hmm. Just eat less of, just of anything. Take the existing diet that you're eating of non-food that has made you sick and has made you sad and has made you not fulfill all that you're capable of on this earth and just eat less of it. That's a bit like telling someone who's burning their hand on the stove, just touch the stove more gently, and that will solve your problem. 
right? If you're addicted to cigarettes, smoking less is better, but it's not the solution. The solution is to breathe high-quality air, not to smoke less. And that's what we need to do. We need to take that shift. We need to stop thinking about calories because calories are a quantity-based metric. We exercise more. Why? To burn calories. We eat less. Why? To avoid calories. And instead, if we started thinking about food, which is what humans are designed to eat and what we ate and stayed healthy for for thousands of generations, and we start thinking about hormones, the actual thing that controls our body composition, we'd be a lot better off. But that is not what we're told. So it is simple, but we are not told that simple solution. Nor is it And that's why it's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan, let's get into a little bit of the science here. And one of the things that it's so funny that so many health professionals over the years would come up to me and they'll say this stuff, but then they'll look at me like, you agree, right? They'll be like, you know, um, it's just about less calories in, exercise more, more calories out. You just got to cut those calories. And they talk about the, the law of thermodynamics. So, Jonathan, let's talk about the law of thermodynamics and why your research doesn't agree with that whole paradigm. Also, just tell people what it is. Yeah. So <clears throat> before we get into the specific law of thermodynamics, I want to just pop out real quick and give a little bit of context that will help make what I'm going to say about thermodynamics make more sense, if that's okay. Sure. So the key thing to keep in mind is that the body works to maintain balance automatically. And we know this. We were all taught this in high school biology class. It's a term called homeostasis. But it's well established for basically every other mission-critical system in our body, like our blood sugar, for example. We know that in the absence of disease, a.k.a. in the absence of diabetes, our blood sugar is automatically regulated. If it goes up, our body takes steps to bring it down, and if it goes down, our body takes steps to bring it up. Same thing applies to sleep. If we stop sleeping, we get more tired. Same thing applies to going to the bathroom. Same thing applies to breathing. Same thing applies to blood pressure. Any mission-critical function that is required for life in any living organism is automatically and unconsciously homeostatically regulated because if it wasn't, the organism would have to spend all of its conscious effort just not dying. Hmm. And that's not a sustainable model for any organism. So baseline, the homeostatic regulation of mission-critical functions in the body is non-debatable. And it's been proven over and over and over again. But Sean and Jade, here's the problem. There's a mission-critical function in our body called not starving to death, which we seem to think, because we've been told, is not homeostatically regulated. That we, this generation, this one generation, has to consciously monitor that, whereas no previous generation did. And they're not telling us we need to consciously monitor any other system in our body, just that one. That doesn't make sense, and it's not necessary. Our hypothalamus automatically regulates our body weight around a slim and healthy set point as long as our body isn't broken. And the problem is that when we eat non-food, we literally break our body. We change the composition of the bacteria and flora in our gut. We change our brain. We literally cause inflammation in our hypothalamus. We change our hormonal levels. Our body is literally changed on the inside. 
And because of that, it becomes inflamed and it starts to hoard fat and it starts to think that we need to store more fat. And that's why no matter how little we eat, our body seems to keep going, wants to keep going back up to that new elevated set point. So I just want to set that as a baseline because now when we get into the thermodynamic discussion, there's a misunderstanding here. And it's hard, right, because we watch The Biggest Loser and we see people that are just eating less and exercising more and they lose 100 pounds. And we're like, obviously, eating less and exercising more causes you to lose weight. And that is true. And putting someone who has a fever in an ice bath will reduce their core body temperature. But does that mean it's the right approach long term? Does that mean it's healthy? Does that mean it's solving the underlying problem? No. And that's the disconnect, right? The law of thermodynamics, there's actually four. Two of them have nothing to do with body composition. They have to do with doing things, uh, defining things like absolute zero. But there are two that apply to body composition, and they tell us together that energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It can only change forms. So what people do is they take that and they say, if you have a body that requires 2,000 calories a day and you eat 1,500, energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It can only change forms. Therefore, your body will take that 500-calorie caloric deficiency and make up for it by burning body fat. Now, there's a problem there. The applicable laws of thermodynamics say that energy cannot be created nor destroyed. They can only, it can only change forms, and that's true. And if you create a caloric deficit in your body, the laws of thermodynamics, the two applicable ones, do prove something interesting. They prove that if you have a shortage of exogenous or external calories coming into your body, that your body has to do something. Sean and Jade, that is all they prove. They prove that if you have a shortage of calories, your body must do something. That is very different from saying that that something is burn body fat. To answer the question of what that something is, we need to look to physiology and we need to look to biology, not physics. And if we look to physiology and biology, we see that in this shortage of calories, because our weight and our body composition is homeostatically regulated, our body will first slow down. If we don't have enough energy, right. we just run slower. And that's been confirmed in every applicable scientific study that's ever been conducted. If you eat less, you burn less, bottom line. And that's the core misunderstanding is people assume that if they eat less, they're just going to keep burning what they burned and therefore burn fat. Therein lies the second myth. The second, first myth, your body just slows down. So that's the first way it responds. And in fact, it's a big slowdown. Studies have shown that your body can slow down upwards of 40%. Like your base metabolic rate could fall upwards of 40% in the state of chronic starvation. Next, if your body's still in a state of caloric deficiency and the applicable laws of thermodynamics do prove that something else needs to happen because your body will need some energy, well, your body doesn't have enough energy. So what's your body going to do? It's going to try to conserve energy. It's already slowed down, but that's not getting the job done. So what's it going to do next? It's going to try to slow down even more. And the way it can do that is by getting rid of tissue that burns a lot of calories. Now, it can't burn off your brain, which burns off a lot of calories. And it can't burn off your liver, which also burns off a lot of calories. And it could burn off your fat, but why? It burns very few calories. But it could burn off your muscle, 
And that's what it does. In fact, up to 70% of the non-water weight you lose if you just starve yourself is going to come from metabolically active, hormonally healthy, disease-preventing muscle. That is terrible. The single strongest indicator of health and robustness as we age, like as we get into our uh, later decades of life, is the maintenance of lean muscle tissue. We do not want to burn off muscle tissue. So we slow down. We burn off muscle tissue. Both of those things help our body to get back to a state of homeostasis, but if we're not, if we still have a caloric deficiency, at that point we will burn body fat, but at what cost? If you want to set someone up, like if I didn't like someone and I wanted to put a curse on them that predisposed them to disease and fat gain over the course of their life, the first thing I would do is slow down their base metabolic rate, and the second thing I would do is burn off muscle tissue. Mm. Maybe that explains why there is a 95.4% failure rate to keeping fat off your body through the traditional eat less, exercise more approach. There's a 4.6% success rate because it actually sets you up for long-term fat gain because according to the laws of thermodynamics, your body does have to do something when you have a caloric deficiency, but it doesn't have to burn fat yeah and that's the key distinction yeah what what that's amazing jonathan i got so many important nuggets there and what we have to do what we're striving to do is change that ratio you know basically 95 percent of all people are failing who set out to change their body and to get rid of their unwanted weight whereas it should be 95 percent who are successful you know but it's just getting this right information into their hands and the first thing the first smoking gun here the biggest one is that When you cut calories in order to lose weight, you will, in fact, slow your metabolism down. That's automatically going to happen. And that right there should tell you, like, that sounds like losing to me. That's a problem. So we want to make sure that we're doing things to keep our metabolism high, as well as conserving our muscle. Muscle, like you said, it's it's very expensive to carry around, you know, so... And that's a good thing because your body uses, you burn more calories naturally just by having more muscle on your frame. But if your body's trying to conserve energy, as I heard you say, it's going to get rid of that muscle because it's getting rid of too many calories. Is that right? It is. It is. And there's, there's layers here, Sean, that are so exciting in terms of the importance of muscle mass. Because a lot of people, I think, have heard that muscle burns more calories than fat. And that is certainly true. But what a lot of people are not aware of is just how expensive this metabolic process called muscle protein synthesis is. And that is just your body, like your, your body is constantly regenerating itself, right? And one of the reasons eating protein and weight training is so useful is it causes our body to maintain and even build new lean muscle tissue. And I was talking with uh, Professor Donald Lehman over at the University of Illinois, who is one of the top five protein researchers in the world. If you ever want to geek out on protein, <laughs> just go to PubMed and type in DK Lehman, and you'll get upwards of hundreds of papers he's authored on the subject. And he found that maintaining lean muscle tissue through continuous muscle protein synthesis, like if we could trigger the synthesis of new protein in our body three to four times a day, and we can talk about how to do that through diet and exercise, that alone, that metabolic process alone could consist or could make up 
upwards of 20 to 30% of our base metabolic rate for that day. Hmm. So just baseline, a fifth to a third of the calories you burn throughout the course of a day could be spent maintaining and building muscle tissue. But only if you ask your body to do that in the first place. Wow. So it sounds like we can be eating eating more food, actually, and still burning more calories, which is, I know that's something that you your work is really showing, which sounds so counterintuitive that we get to eat more food, but that's really how it works. Real quick, I want to go back to something you said, because that analogy is fantastic. You know, looking at those TV shows, you know, like The Biggest Loser, and I mean, they've got millions of viewers, you know, people are just locked into these shows. And it's kind of brainwashing us and we're really associating that that's the way you need to do it if you're going to lose weight. But you said it perfectly. Yes, it does work. You can see it. But you don't see these people later. Mm-hmm. And cost. The, the big thing to really get here is that, yes, it can happen in the short term. Just like you gave that analogy. This is just amazing of taking an ice bath to right, lower a right, fever. Right. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to lower that core temperature. Mm-hmm. But your body turned that fever up for a purpose. Yeah. You know, and if you're not addressing that, and I like to give the analogy when I'm, you know, working with my clients or speaking anywhere of when you're taking in a drug, you know, a drug of some type, you're masking a symptom. You're not actually addressing the underlying root cause of why your body's giving you a symptom of a headache or a symptom of a cancer or a symptom of uh, uh, some, you know, psoriasis or whatever the case may be. Your body's giving you feedback that you need to change. And yet we'll just go ahead and take a pill. You know, it's a it's a really backwards way of thinking. When we want to look at what you're talking about here, which is long term health and fat loss versus this short term weight loss. Is that correct? That is exactly correct. Anytime anyone says, well, I'll just eat less exercise more. That person is thinking in terms of short term weight loss. And, and there's really no reason to argue because they're right. And it's like if you want to ask a boxer, a wrestler, a jockey, anyone who needs to professionally drop massive amounts of weights in very short periods of time, I can't even tell you how to do that. It's not, it's not, and it is, it's simple. You just, I mean, you can take a bunch of diuretics and stimulants and sit in a sauna with a rubber suit on while you jump rope. I mean, you're, there's all, you could cut off your leg to lose weight if you wanted to. It's fast. There's 30 pounds right there. Right. The question is, is, is that really what we're after? Is, are we really after short-term weight loss, or is what we're after long-term health, long-term fat loss, and feeling great about ourselves? And if that is what we're after, then certainly we need to take a different approach than eating less and exercising more, because eating less and exercising more is the approach for short-term weight loss. Right. And what you brought up earlier, and you, you briefly mentioned it, is that this really boils down to what your hormones are doing. Because when you, when you pull those calories away, your hormones are going to start acting differently. And this is the real key place to focus, not on the calories, but on hormones. And you mentioned the hypothalamus. So your hypothalamus is controlling and regulating literally what your body does with the calories that you bring in. Does it assimilate them? Does it ignore them? Or does it store them as fat? Really understanding that this is, this is really something to focus more on your endocrine system rather than on these calories. So let's talk a little bit about that, you know, um, the, the set point and hormones and what's really going on behind the scenes when we are actually doing these. And actually, I want to start talking about that, too, because you, you call them insane. When you do these insane things, what, what kind of damages can start doing with your hormones? 
you're spot on that hormones are absolutely the key. And, and just to really make sure your listeners understand that uh, with some concrete examples, because it's so key, and we know this intuitively, is many of uh, your listeners, well, all of them, all of us have experienced that as we get older, especially it seems like when we hit our early 30s, it seems like something changes. Like we eat the same and we can exercise the same, but it's harder to keep fat off our body. Well, what happens as you age? Well, your hormones change. We all, we all get that. We all understand that. So that's a, a way that we can all associate with the importance of hormones. But some more other different examples is if anyone has ever taken uh, an antidepressant medication or stopped smoking or gone on insulin because they're suffering from diabetes, they'll notice that or, or – taken steroids, which is illegal and you shouldn't do, but it's another example. In all of those instances, you're doing something pointed that changes the hormonal makeup of your body. And because you've done that, your body composition changes, even if what you're eating and how you're exercising doesn't. In the case of steroids, you build muscle. In the case of taking insulin, you gain fat. In the case of stopping smoking, you gain fat. And in the case of uh, what was the first one I said? <laughs> and they, no, in the case of antidepressants, oh, okay, if you start yeah. taking antidepressants, oftentimes you will gain fat. And again, that's because they right. have this impact yep. on your brain and on your biology. But taking a step back about sane and insane. So the way we change our hormones, which is the key thing we're after here, is hormonal change. Let's see the quality of the foods we're eating, not the quantity, right? If you want to change a system, you have to change what you're putting into it, not the amount. Putting less gas in your car or more gas in your car will not change your car. But if you put kerosene in the gas tank, that will change your car. Like that will cause the system to change and break down. So we need to focus on the quality of what we're eating. The question then is, of course, well, what are high quality foods and what are low quality foods? So we need to break it down. And the research is quite clear that there's four factors that determine the quality of calories. And those are satiety, aggression, nutrition, and efficiency which I abbreviate using the acronym SANE, where we want to eat SANE high-quality foods, so much of them that were too full for insane low-quality foods. Insane high-quality foods are non-starchy vegetables, nutrient-dense proteins, low-fructose fruits and whole food fats. Insane foods are starches and sweets and processed fats. So things that are high in water, fiber, and protein, SANE. Things that are low in water, fiber, and protein, insane. And just really quickly to unpack satiety, aggression, nutrition, and efficiency. Satiety is how quickly a calorie fills us up and how long they keep us full. So, for example, Pringles openly says and advertises, once you pop, you can't stop. <laughs> They're telling us that you can eat 400 calories of this thing and you will be oh, just as hungry fine. as when you started. <laughs> and that's what light beer is. Light beer says, give us money to put calories in your body and not satisfy you. Wow. What? So, so, so we want to eat calories that satisfy us. Mm. Easy enough. So we want to eat satisfying calories. Uh, 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 the second thing, aggression, the A insane. This we're pretty familiar with. It has to do with the insulinic response of food and how quickly and how high our blood sugar goes up. We want to have a slow, non-aggressive rate of energy entering our bloodstream, not just a bunch of aggressive calories and glucose running into our body. 
Because in that case, we overwhelm our body, and all these aggressive uh, forms of energy coming in, we tend to store more fat because our body becomes overwhelmed. So we want to eat unaggressive foods, unaggressive sources of calories. The N is nutrition. It's the one we generally understand the most, but sadly the way we're presented with nutrition information is, is not completely true. We're taught, told about nutrition quantity, just like how much nutrition is in the sugary cereal? Well, I see double-digit percentages, so it must, must be healthy. But that's a, sadly an incomplete look at nutrition. We need to look at nutrition per calorie. Looking at nutrition per calorie is key, and it is why we all instinctively know that eating 10 donuts is not 10 times healthier than eating one donut. Like, we know that lie because you're also getting 10 times the amount of garbage along with 10 times the amount of good stuff. So we want to eat foods that maximize the amount of essential nutrients per calorie. And when we do that, we see things like whole grains actually end up being a terrible source of fiber relative to vegetables when we look at it per calorie. So we want to eat foods that have high nutrition per calorie. And then finally, efficiency, the E insane. This is the one that is least well-known, and it has to do with the amount of calories we burn every day just turning food into energy. The average person, about 10% of the calories they burn per day is spent just converting food into usable energy. We don't have little bits of hamburgers floating around in our bloodstream. We've got to do a bunch of chemical changes to make food into usable energy. And certain foods are more or less efficient at being converted into triglyceride, a.k.a. to being stored as body fat. So, for example, when you eat starch, it is twice as likely to be stored as body fat than protein is simply because it has fewer chemical changes that need to happen before it becomes body fat than protein does. Protein is much less efficient at being converted into triglyceride than any other source of calories in the diet. And this is why diets higher in protein oftentimes result in weight loss because you will just burn more calories digesting and metabolizing calories than you otherwise would have. So we want to eat inefficient calories whenever possible. So we want to eat satisfying, unaggressive, nutritious, inefficient, sane calories those are characterized by foods that are high in water, fiber, and protein, non-starchy vegetables, nutrient-dense proteins, whole food fats, and low-fructose fruits. Yeah, wow. Within those food categories, we've got thousands of different foods to choose from, thousands of different meal combinations. We just seem to be very limited in our thinking, you know, and going after these, you know, 100-calorie cookie snacks and whatnot. And those are, those are what you call insane. Those are the opposite of the sane mm-hmm. foods. And, you know, there's very little actual nutrition there. But it's an incredibly efficient food as far as your body assimilating that sugar, you know. So, like, for example, um, earlier you mentioned wheat. But wheat has a compound called amylopectin A, which is extremely absorbable by our digestive tract. You know, just the way we're built, we can assimilate those carbohydrates super quick. So it's not going to keep us satisfied very long. You know, we're going to get that huge sugar spike and then we're going to crash and then we're going to want to eat again mm-hmm. and then we're going to do it over and over again. And that, that is great. I love how you make the uh, analogy of it being insane because that's what it is. You know, that's great. the definition of insanity, doing the right. same thing over and over, over again, again expecting, expecting a different, different result. Results, yes. Bananas, bananas in pajamas. <laughs> All right. So now let's take a step back. Before we go any further, even though we gave these big, broad categories of foods that are, there's so many foods within those, 
Let's get a little bit more specific for everybody as far as, you know, what some sane foods are, some that are more satiating, some that have, you know, you brought up fats. Fats are very, very important. Let's talk a little bit about that because <laughs> fats have been given a bad name, dragged through the mud like crazy, but they're actually so important for so many things. So let's talk a little bit about some sane foods, please. So breaking down those four categories we mentioned earlier, first and foremost is non-starchy vegetables. And I actually want to like raise this up on a pedestal because it does not get enough love. Like as Kermit has told us for a long time, Kermit the Frog, it's, it's not, not easy, easy being green. green. <laughs> right. It's not, right? And like everyone agrees, vegans, vegetarians, paleo, low-carb, South Beach, whatever, Everyone agrees, non-starchy vegetables, a.k.a. the types of vegetables you could eat raw, a.k.a. the types of vegetables found in salads, you don't have to eat them raw, but they're just characterized by the fact that you could eat them raw, green leafy vegetables, mushrooms, uh, onions, peppers, all that kind of good stuff. Everyone agrees those are good for you. So, like, eat a bunch of those. The single biggest source of volume, like the sheer amount of stuff going into your mouth, if, if the bulk of that are not non-starchy vegetables, a.k.a. plants you could eat raw, and in the vegetables, so we're not talking about bananas, apples, those are fruits, but like non-starchy uh, greens, lettuce, spinach, kale, arugula, dandelion greens, again, things you put in salads. Until that is the bulk of the food you're putting in your mouth, you are not going to experience the dramatic health and physique benefits you could. And I just really want to harp on that because it's really easy to forget about it. And it's really easy to get into conversations about like protein and fat, which I love getting into. But like really double digit servings of non-starchy vegetables, priority number one in my research. Next category is nutrient dense proteins. It's really important to focus on nutrient dense here. So we're talking about things like wild-caught salmon. We're talking about humanely non-hormone-injected sources of grass-fed beef, free-range poultry. We're talking about eggs from humanely raised chickens. We're talking about low-sugar sources of dairy, such as cottage cheese and Greek yogurt. And certainly there are vegetarian options as well. They're not the optimal sources of protein from a biological availability perspective. But when, it talk, when we want to talk about optimal sources, humanely raised hormone-free animals, great nutrient-dense sources of protein. Mm -hmm. Next are whole food fats. Very important, whole food fats, because a lot of the things we've heard about fats are predicated on low-quality fats. And, and Sean and Jay, to be very clear, eating low-quality anything is bad right. for you, right? So, so that's what, yeah, yeah, eating trans fats is terrible for you. Yeah, pounding a shot glass full of vegetable oil probably isn't the best idea for anyone, but that doesn't mean avocado is bad for you. It doesn't mean cocoa is bad for you. It doesn't mean coconut is bad for you. It doesn't mean chia seeds, flax seeds, almonds, all these delicious whole food, complete foods that are high in fat are phenomenal for you. They're phenomenal for you. And actually, even a lot of the really low-fat advocates out there, having spoken to them personally, agree with that. <laughs> it's just an inconvenient truth that they don't like to mention. So whole food fats, super good for you and should make up a large portion of the calories you take in in the course of a day. And you notice I'm also saying whole food fats because, it, again, it's very easy Food manufacturers want to get their hands on anything they can. So like coconuts, great, amazing source of whole food fats. They contain 
It's called medium-chain triglycerides, which has been shown in study after study after study to help boost our metabolic rate, to help change our gut bacteria, to help us burn more fat, do all kinds of great stuff. But what do we hear about? We don't hear about eating coconut. We hear about drinking coconut water. We hear about using coconut oil. Not that those are bad, but those aren't the whole food. Like, let's eat the whole food. Remember, it's like whole food, whole food. Eat the whole food. So I just want to stress that. (laughs) The last category is uh, low fructose fruits. So again, not all fruits are the same. Just like any other type of food, there's higher quality and lower quality sources as defined by the same criteria we talked about earlier. Low fructose fruits, such as berries and citrus, are dramatically more sane than higher fructose fruits such as apples, which if you actually look at the composition of apples over the past 40 years, they've changed dramatically. The amount of nutrients they have in them has gone down, and the percent of the calories coming from fructose has shot up. So we want to eat the sanest fruits available, and those are generally berries, strawberries, blueberries, raspberries, marion berries, and citrus <laughs> fruits. Awesome. Wow. So this is really helping us to to really hone in on what what all that looks like. And that's awesome. What I like to say, just to really summarize this, is that the foods that we need to be selecting, we don't want to focus on the macronutrients. We want to focus on the micronutrients that are in there. So proteins that contain a lot of micronutrients, the phytonutrients, phytochemicals, uh, vitamins, minerals, that has all that stuff built into it. Not fake foods that have it added back in. You know, so fortified breads and cereals and and, and yeah and, and milk products and things like that. Mm. So eating the real foods that naturally contain a bunch of micronutrients. So we want to make sure that no matter what category of food we're eating, we're eating whole foods, real foods that have tons of micronutrients built into the matrix. Mm-hmm. All right, next. This is this is going to be a little controversial. Oh. <laughs> I love it, but it's so important, so important. Um, we need to talk about exercise, you know, so what Jonathan, what you really advocate is eating more smarter and exercising less smarter. So when we see these DVDs late at night, which, you know, I don't, I haven't seen any of these infomercials, <laughs> but I'll see them randomly on, on the away. internet. You look away, do not <laughs> go toward the light. <laughs> a lot of my clients over the years, you know, I, honestly, a lot of people that get to me later after they've tried these programs and got success, it was like, I was in such great shape, but where are you at now? You know, and they've lost their results. As a matter of fact, they're worse off is, you know, trying these programs that they see on, on, on TV, you know, the insane programs and, you know, Mm -hmm. P90X and whatnot. And don't get me wrong. It works for a certain percentage of people, you know, just moving your body period, you know, in such a fashion, you're going to be getting a lot of results. But what about maintaining that? And that's what Jonathan's been talking about. Can you maintain that whatever hour, 50 minutes, whatever it is, five, six times a week? Can you maintain doing that? You've always said that you can't out-train a bad diet. Right. That's and, the, that's the uh, big point. Mm-hmm. And our, our other guest said, you, you know, you can't out-exercise what you put in your mouth. Right. So what, what do you recommend as far as exercising smarter? I love that you brought up these infomercial programs because there's just three <laughs> key things I want to highlight you, you touched on but have been so helpful to, to my listeners and I think will be helpful to yours. And that is, first and foremost, it's very easy to watch these infomercials, and they do this intentionally, Marketing 101. And to see, like, wow, man, everyone who does this is, like, ripped up and young 
And, like, if I do it, I'll be ripped up and young, too, right? Like, beer commercials do this all the time. Like, if I drink beer, then I'll be popular because that's what everyone else is doing. But the key thing to keep in mind is that, like, and, and to be clear, a lot of people that do these programs are young and athletic. Right. But that doesn't mean that the programs made them young and athletic. For example, if you watch the NBA, there's a lot of tall people on the court. That doesn't mean that being in the NBA makes you tall, it means that people who are taller are more likely to be in the NBA. So that's an important distinction because when you watch these videos, and maybe you even know people that do these programs, and you're like, man, everyone I know who does these programs is lean and athletic. Well, the question, and what is generally true, is they were lean and athletic before they did those programs, and that's why they can do those programs. Those programs didn't make them lean and athletic. So that's just an important distinction to make. And, Sean, as you mentioned, safety is just so important, right? Like, the reason we're exercising and eating is to, is to build up our body and to be healthy. So before we start any exercise program, we've got to say, like, regardless of the results it gives me, is it giving me those results in the safest way possible? Like, am I minimizing side effects? And we see this in pharmacology all the time. We don't just say, like, take as much penicillin as you can. Ah, extreme penicillin. Woohoo! Penicillin insanity. We say, how, what is the minimum amount of any sort of stimulus you need to give you the desired result? And that's important because it also minimizes side effects. And it's also great because if we can do this minimum effective dose of exercise, then we can fit it into our lives, which are busy, very busy. So while these programs may give you results, the question is, are you getting the maximum return on investment? Like, what if I told you there was a bunch of science, a bunch of science that was unambiguous and showed you that you could get the same, if not better, results in one-fifth of the time? Like, why, why not do that? And I know it's, it might sound too good to be true, but there's plenty of areas of life. For example, if you were to take less morphine, like you took one gram of morphine versus 10 grams of Tylenol, the morphine will do more even though you're taking less of it. Why? Because it's more potent and it causes a bigger change in your body. We can do the same thing with exercises. There are higher quality forms of exercise, which we can do very little of, and in fact we have to do little of, because they are so potent. And because they are so potent, they deliver such an incredible result that we don't need to, but more importantly, can't do a lot of them. Just like taking a lot of morphine isn't good for you, doing a lot of very potent exercise isn't good for you, and but fortunately, it's not possible. Right? If I were to tell you, go outside and sprint as hard as you can, you can't do a lot of that. You can't. Like There's an inverse relationship between the intensity and the duration of any exercise because you run out of energy. So the question is, how can we maximize the intensity of exercise while also maximizing the safety and sustainability of exercise? And when we do that, we maximize the intensity of exercise, we maximize the safety of exercise, we end up in a world where we have to do very little of it because we are too daggone tired and sore to do a lot of it, and we get dramatically better results because when you increase the intensity of exercise, you actually do something metabolically different than you would do by increasing the quantity of exercise. Specifically, you recruit different types of muscle fibers. I don't think we have time to dig into the physiology of this, but just know 
that you can, just like you can work more muscles, for example, your leg muscles are bigger than your arm muscles. So if you want to achieve any kind of metabolic results, you'd be better off working your legs than your arms. Within your muscles, there are different types of fibers. And just like you're better off working bigger muscles than smaller muscles, you're better off working more muscle fibers within your muscles than you are working less. And the only way you can work more muscle fibers is by increasing the intensity of your exercise, which by definition reduces the amount of the exercise you can do. So if we just look at physiological law, the more muscle you recruit, the more results you get, and the less exercise you can do by definition. So interestingly and promisingly, if you want to get the most results from your exercise and you're able to do a lot of it, you're not maximizing your results. Yeah. because you wouldn't be able to do a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So what, what would you recommend then, Jonathan, as far as the intensity? How do, you, how do you rev up that intensity without doing what we think in our heads is the more intense way of doing it, which is to do more, sprint around, running around, jumping jacks for you know whatever amount of time? What is this specific way to, to do this? Yes, how do we get to those good muscle fibers? <laughs> it's, it's all about making your muscles produce more force. And you can do that by moving faster, but that's dangerous. The mm-hmm. faster you move, the more likely you are to get injured. You can also do that in a much more safe fashion by just using more resistance. So this is why resistance training is so important. But even within weight training and resistance training, there are ways to exercise that allow your muscles to generate more force. For example, any exercise has two components. When you contract your muscle, the concentric portion of the movement, as well as when you extend your muscle, the eccentric portion of the movement. Your muscles can generate about 40% more force eccentrically than they can concentrically. That's why most people don't fail to lower the barbell when bench pressing. They fail to raise it because they're actually stronger eccentrically than they are concentrically. So we want to focus on slowly lowering the most resistance we can safely. This doesn't mean you never lift weights. It just means that, unfortunately, just like everything else we've heard is not correct, we're told, like, lift weights. It's all about lifting weights. And because of that, you see people throwing weights around and just, oh, how, many, how much weight can I lift and then dropping it? They are leaving the single most important part of the exercise component laying on the floor, and that's slowly lowering weight. So if you want to maximize the amount of force your muscles are generating, maximize the metabolic benefits, you should focus on slowly lowering as much weight as you safely can using the biggest muscle groups possible. So things like leg press, squats, deadlifts for your lower body, things like pull-ups and rows for your back, things like pushes for your chest, and things like overhead press for your shoulders. Keep it basic. Keep it safe keep it intense, and when I say exercise less, I mean like that kind of exercise. Make sure you're walking around, you're staying active, you're playing with your kids, like that's baseline. That's not exercise, that's being human. We should do as much of that as we possibly can. Yeah, I love that. So mixing in, when we're actually doing our quote workout, you want to focus on the stuff that gets the most results. And I can vouch for this as well. This has been something that it's funny enough, you know, all these things are becoming wildly popular now, but I was incorporating these things 10 years ago when I first, you know, became a strength coach. And even, you know, when people see, when they come to my website and people actually, you know, that haven't met me yet and they might 
talk to me on the phone or, you know, somebody introduces me in our interview and they'll go to my website and they're like, is that you on your website? Is that actually you? And I'm like, yeah, that's me. And there's no Photoshop or nothing. Photoshop or airbrush. But, and yeah. I accomplished that while having three kids, mm-hmm. having my own business, having, you know, all these different projects and speaking and doing a lot of stuff because I focused on certain ways of exercising. I built that body exercising honestly and it's probably it's in the middle it's not exactly what Jonathan promotes it's it's in the and it's not definitely you know the the Mm -hmm. outrageous so I was working out maybe three times a week 45 minutes a day that's it and then some walking you know and I might randomly throw in a day of sprints but that was pretty much it and it's that's kind of hard to believe it's because when I was in the gym I was focusing on these eccentric movements you know really getting the most out of all the reps I was doing and for me I actually had to put on a little bit of size. And so I was, you know, eating more, smarter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, for me, I mean, I was eating a little bit more than more. And um, I mean, doing like really heavy deadlifts, I mean, man, that really did it for me. But as far as the the weight loss, after I finished that, the weight just flew off of me so quickly because, you know, my, my body set point, sure. you know, wants to be at a certain place. So, but bottom line is getting the results and really getting lean, focusing on what what you're talking about here, Jonathan, and, and those those eccentric movements, I guarantee you, those people that we see on those infomercials that are the creators of the programs, I bet you they didn't get those big boulder shoulders and, and ripped <laughs> from doing those types of things. They got, they got it originally from doing kind of classical strength training. I bet you any kind of money. That's where they got their framework from. The other stuff is just entertainment. So do you want to be entertained or do you want to get results? Well, definitely want to get results. And I would go back to the – well, I like that you said framework. So we we, we mentioned that uh, in the NBA they're tall, not because of the NBA, but because tall people are maybe more inclined toward the NBA. And likewise, the people that are doing these uh, intense workouts are designed for that. Well, how do you find out what am I? You know, what is my desired result? Because we've got obviously gotten so far away from what our original design is. And you're saying you can see results, you can get even better results. But how do we even know where we're going anymore if that's not our model? Well, I think the, the key thing is to just say, like, what what are the core underlying principles? And the core underlying principles for eating we've covered quite well. And that is whole, nutrient-dense plants and animals that are found in their natural state in nature. So that's underlying framework. So anything you're gonna think about doing from eating perspective, mm-hmm. yeah, does it, does it hold true to that? And if the answer is no, that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, but it means you should squint before you, before you look further. Just one example is like a, a cod liver oil. Like you don't, there's no such thing as cod liver oil in nature. Mm-hmm. So. It doesn't, it doesn't meet that rule, but it doesn't mean it's bad for you. But it does mean you should think twice. Right. So that's, that's the rule. That's the general rule. Now, for exercise, the general rule is to maximize results long-term, you have to maximize the amount of muscle worked. Like, that's just common sense. That's, sure. that's why, like, typing will never cause metabolic change. Although you're using your muscles, you're using your tiny hand muscles. Like texting will not rip you up because you're only <laughs> using your thumb muscles. Right. Right. You, have some, so, so, you have a six-pack on your thumbs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is just, the question is, is quite simple. It's what forms of exercise enable me to work the most muscle possible mm-hmm. 
and the most muscle fibers within those muscles as safely as possible. So is this exercise routine or structure, is it allowing me to add resistance without increasing risk? Nice. Is it allowing me to do something that I could maintain into my 70s and 80s? Nice. Right? Like, can I do this literally mm-hmm. if it's a really sound exercise program? And I'm just talking about baseline exercise. I'm not tra- talking about athletic training. It's a totally different thing. Baseline health, whatever you do for baseline health, you can, should, and ought do until the day you leave this earth. Yes. And if that mm-hmm. isn't true, if you can't do it, there's a question like, well, then what are you going to do? And why aren't you doing that now? So I think that's a good rule to hold as well. I love that. And then the body will continue on its course of homeostasis. That shifted the lens enough for me to understand that if I focus on these things, my body will pull into the form and, and model yeah. of health. Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about be, now. That's our model. You know, and for me, it's like everybody doesn't have to be what I achieved at that time, you know, being the 7% body fat or whatever the case may be, you know, it's really doing, (laughs) it's really pushing the major buttons that get the greatest result for you personally, what your goal is, Mm -hmm. you know? And if it is something where you have to tweak and look at the the little small things like I was doing to get even further, that's cool. But Mm -hmm. just understand to be in a general place of looking and feeling Mm -hmm. really, really Mm -hmm. good it's taking these big chunks that Jonathan's been sharing yes, today. Yes, yes. And so, you know, we're coming here up on the close of the show. So, Jonathan, I asked my guests this question, and I'm really interested to hear your answer because, I mean, you're doing some pioneering work and really influencing a lot of lives. What is the model that you represent? I mean, what example are you here to set for the people that follow your work and society as a whole? I think, without getting too metaphysical, but we, and I'm going to take this pretty global, hopefully I don't offend anyone, we as a society have been so focused on quantity in general, right? Like getting more stuff, quantity, eating less calories, quantity, doing more exercise, quantity, having a lot of partners, quantity, getting a lot of Twitter followers, quantity, What about quality? What about thinking about having quality relationships with people? What about doing quality work at your job? What about eating quality foods? What about doing quality exercise? And what about changing the quality of people's lives around you? If we could shift from a quantity-based mindset to a quality-based mindset, I think we, we could live in a, a much happier and healthier world. Wow. That's, That's that, beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jay was over here lifting her fist in the air. That yes. was amazing. Yes. Awesome. Yes. I really, I really take that on and receive that myself. That's wonderful, exactly. man. Take that well, on. For everybody, I'm actually holding one of the legendary copies of Jonathan's, uh, I believe is your first big book, The Smarter Science of Slim, which is no longer going to be available out there because you've got an upgraded version. And honestly, it's it's a trip. If you go to like barnesandnoble.com and try and buy this book, it's like $1,000. No joke. <laughs> it's because it's, I'm assuming, you know, you've, you've pulled them off the, the market and you've got this new big project coming out. So, and that is called what, Jonathan? The Calorie Myth. It is coming out. It's being published by HarperCollins on December 31st of this year. So right in time for the New Year, New You resolution time right, frame. Right. And it's, it's going to be very, very exciting. It's 
everything that's in the Smarter Science of Slim is still going to be there and a lot more. Think about it like the Smarter Science of Slim as being a, a, a demo tape, still a really good demo tape. Uh, but a six tracks, you know, produced by an independent label. Right. Think about the calorie myth as a 16 track double disc produced by Dr. Dre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to be like, it's got recipes, it's got how to, it goes much deeper into the science, it's got the practical, it's got the science. I mean, it's, we're really, really excited about it. And you can learn more about that and everything else at the uh, smarterscienceofslim.com. Awesome. So we'll actually put a link in the show notes here to to head over and check out your work, Jonathan. And I really appreciate you coming on. And actually, I know that you've got this um, 28-day quick start program. So tell everybody really quickly about that. Yeah, you can sign up right at the homepage of smarterscienceofslim.com, and you'll get a 28-day interactive email program, which is cool. So we'll get an email a week that steps you through some specific ways to change your mind first so that it can empower you to change your body. Like, there's just so much information out there that, like, we have to reset the paradigm. I hate to use that word, but, like, you need to get a baseline level of understanding, just like if you want to do math. Like, you don't try to memorize every possible sum of numbers. You understand the laws of algebra. You understand how algebra works, and then you can do math in any context for the rest of your life. So this 28-day program will step you through getting that free modern nutrition and exercise education, mm-hmm. all 100% free, and then you can you know, go do your thing with that new mind moving forward after that 28 days. Awesome. That's so everybody good. definitely check that out and just head over to theshawnstevensonmodel.com and we'll put it in the, in the show notes to get your link to head right over to Jonathan's site. And you can find his work, just go straight over to thesmarterscienceofslim.com as well. And Jonathan, it's been a pleasure. Yes, it I has. mean, knowledge galore. I mean, I'm just I'm buzzing over here. So many mm-hmm. great tips and strategies and insights. And I really appreciate you coming on and sharing, Jonathan. Absolutely. My pleasure. Would love to do it again. God bless you. <laughs> All right. Thank you, man. Thanks for doing this work, Jonathan. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. You got an awesome, awesome dynamic on the show. I appreciate it. Everybody, thanks for tuning into the show. And make sure for more after the show, you head over to TheSeanStevensonModel.com. That's where you can find the show notes. And if you got any questions or comments, make sure to let me know. And please head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and let everybody know that our show is awesome and you're loving it. And I read all the comments, so please leave me a comment there. And take care, everybody. promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help transform your life. And we'll talk to you really soon. 